Part two, chapter three of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part two, chapter three. Vinicius also was at a loss for an explanation of what had happened. In the innermost depths of his soul, he was as much astonished as Chilo that these people should have treated him as they did, and in lieu of avenging his assault, should have carefully dressed his wounds, might have been ascribed partly to the doctrines they professed, more to Lygia, and not a little to his eminent position. But their behavior to Chilo was beyond his conception of the human possibilities of forgiveness. Involuntarily the question forced itself upon him, why did they not kill the Greek? They could have done this without fear of punishment. Ursus could have interred the body in the garden, or carried it at night to the Tiber, which, in those times of nocturnal homicides, often dictated by Caesar himself, cast up human corpses so frequently in the daytime, that few stopped to inquire whose they were or whence they came. Besides, in the opinion of Vinicius, the Christians not only could, but they ought to have killed Chilo yet compassion was not an entire stranger to the patrician world in which he belonged the athenians had raised an altar to compassion and had long fought against the introduction of gladiatorial shows into athens in rome the vanquished sometimes received mercy from the victor thus caractacus a king of the britons taken captive by claudius and richly provided for by him was even then living in the city in liberty but revenge for personal injuries seemed to Vinicius, as to all other Romans, just and right. To renounce it was opposed to all his feelings. True, he had heard in Ostranium that one ought to love one's enemies, but he held it to be a new theory without any application to real life. Even now the thought passed through his heart that possibly Chilo had not been killed because the day was a holiday, or fell under some phase of the moon when Christians were not allowed to kill he had heard that among foreign nations certain days and periods were tabooed even for warfare but why then was not the greek surrendered to the hands of justice why then had the apostles said that if thy brother had sinned against thee seven times seven times shouldst thou forgive him why had glaucus said to chilo may god forgive thee as i forgive thee chilo had inflicted upon glaucus the most terrible injury that man can wreak on man at the very thought of what he would do to any one who should kill lygia the heart of vinicius seethed like a boiling cauldron no tortures would be too terrible for such a wrong and that man had forgiven and ursus too had forgiven he who might kill any one he wished in rome with entire impunity for he could escape by simply killing the king of the nemorian grove and taking his place how could the gladiator who held that dignity for the time being a dignity only held by killing the former king stand up against the man whom croto could not stand against there was only one answer to all these questions this was that they did not kill only because of a charity so stupendous that nothing like it dwelt elsewhere in the world and because of a love for humanity so boundless that the believer forgot himself his own injuries his own happiness and sorrows and lived only for others what reward these people expected vinicius had heard in ostranium but it lay beyond his comprehension nevertheless he felt that a life lived in this world with complete renunciation of all wealth and comforts would be a wretched one 
therefore in thinking about the christians pity and a shade of scorn mingled with his astonishment in his eyes they were like sheep which sooner or later must be devoured by the wolf his roman nature forbade him to respect those who laid themselves open to be devoured one point however startled him it was that after the departure of chilo some great joy illuminated all faces the apostle approached glaucus and placing his hand on his head said christ hath conquered in thee glaucus had lifted up a face as radiant as though overflowed by some great and unexpected happiness vinitius who could only understand the joy of accomplished vengeance stared at him with fever-brightened eyes as one who gazed upon a lunatic with some inward disturbance he saw lygia press her queenly lips to the hands of this man who at first sight had the appearance of a slave it seemed to him that the order of the world had been reversed then ursus returned and related how he had led chilo to the street and craved his pardon for any injury he had inflicted upon his bones whereupon the apostle blessed him also crispus declared that it was the day of a great victory on hearing the word victory vinitius was entirely at a loss when lygia once more brought him a refreshing draught he held her hand for a second and asked and so thou forgivest me also we are christians we are not allowed to nurse anger in our hearts lygia he said then whoever thy god may be i will offer him a hecatomb only because he is thine she replied thou wilt honour him in thy heart when thou lovest him only because he is thine repeated vinitius but his voice had grown faint he dropped his eyes weakness once more overcame him lygia left him but shortly returned and standing by his couch bent over to see if he were sleeping vinitius felt that she was close to him he opened his eyes and smiled she placed her hand softly over his lids as if to induce him to sleep a great calm settled down upon him but now his condition changed he felt worse in fact he was worse with the coming of the night had come a violent fever he could not fall asleep his eyes followed lygia wherever she went at times he fell into a half-dream wherein he saw and heard all that went on around him but in which reality was strangely mingled with feverish visions he thought that he saw lygia a priestess in a tower-shaped temple in an ancient and lovely cemetery without removing his eyes from her she appeared suddenly to be standing on the summit of the tower a lyre in her hand her entire form bathed in light she resembled those priestesses who at night sang praise to the moon and whom he had often seen in the orient then he dreamed that by a great effort he climbed the spiral staircase to carry her off behind him crawled chilo his teeth chattering together with fright and crying master do not do this tis a priestess who will be avenged by god vinitius did not know who this god was nevertheless he knew that he was about to commit a sacrilege and felt immeasurable terror but when he reached the railing around the top of the tower the apostle with the silvery beard appeared suddenly by the side of the maiden and said raise not thy hand against her for she belongs to me with these words the pair moved upwards as if ascending towards heaven on a pathway formed by the moon's beams then vinitius raising his hands prayed them to take him with them at this point he awoke with regained consciousness he stared about him the fire in the hearth had gone down but still shed light enough for vision the christians all sat before the fire warming themselves for the night was wintry and the room was cold 
vinitius noted their fog-like breath in the midst of the group was the apostle lygia sat at his knees on a low footstool farther away sat glaucus crispus miriam on one side of the crescent so formed sat ursus on the other nazarius son of miriam a young lad with a beautiful face and long dark curls falling down his shoulders lygia her eyes uplifted to the apostle was listening intently all eyes were turned to him he was speaking in an undertone vinitius began to look upon him with a superstitious fear hardly inferior to that which he had felt in his fevered vision was his dream at least half true and was this wanderer from distant shores really to carry off his lygia and lead her away through unknown paths he felt certain that he himself was the subject of the old man's talk possibly the latter was planning how to separate him from the girl it seemed to him impossible that any other subject for conversation could come up he bent all his energies to catch peter's words but he found himself entirely mistaken the apostle was speaking once more of christ they live only in his name vinitius said to himself the old man was telling of the capture of christ a detachment of soldiers and servants of the priest came to take him when the saviour asked whom they were seeking they replied jesus of nazareth but when jesus said i am he they fell on the ground and did not dare to raise their hands against him not until after the second question did they attempt to capture here the apostle paused and stretching out his hands to the fire continued the night was as cold as this but my blood boiled within me i took my sword to defend him and i cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest i would have defended him with more than my life had he not said put up thy sword in the scabbard shall i not drink the cup which the father hath given me so they took and bound him having spoken thus peter raised his hand to his forehead and stopped short as though striving to banish some of the recollections that crowded upon him before proceeding further ursus unable to bear any more leaped up and stirred the fire with an iron scattering a multitude of golden sparks around until the flame shot up with new vigor whereupon he sat down and exclaimed let what would have happened i he stopped short for lygia had placed her finger on her lips he breathed loudly however and it was evident that his soul was in a turmoil although he was always ready to kiss the apostle's feet he could not approve that one act on his part had any one in his presence raised his hand against the saviour had he been with him that night ah how he would have laid about him among priests and servants and soldiers and officials his eyes overflowed with tears at the very thought he went through a frightful mental struggle for on the one hand he thought how gladly not only would he have fought himself but how he would have summoned to the aid of the saviour his fellow lygians the very pick of them all on the other hand he reflected that this would have been disobedience to the saviour himself a disobedience which would have hindered the redemption of the world hence his tears peter withdrawing his hand from his forehead continued the narrative but a feverish semi-somnolent state had now overcome vinitius what he had overheard mingled itself with what he had previously learned in ostranium of that day when christ manifested himself on the shores of the sea of galilee he saw a vast surface of water whereupon was a fisherman's boat in the boat were peter and lygia he swam towards them with all his might but the pain in his broken arm prevented his reaching them 
a gale blew water into his eyes he sank below the surface and with a loud voice cried for help lygia knelt imploringly before the apostle who turned the boat and reached out an oar to him vinitius seized it by its aid he succeeded in clambering into the boat and fell prone at the bottom after a while it seemed to him he raised himself to his feet and gazing back he beheld a vast multitude swimming after the boat the foaming waves broke over them he could see the hands of some stretched out above the water peter saved one after the other of the drowning men by pulling them into the boat which grew miraculously larger and larger soon great crowds filled it as great as the crowds at ostranium and more and more were added to them Vinitius wondered how they could find room and was affrighted lest the boat should be swamped but lygia comforted him by showing him a light on the far-off shore towards which they were making again dreams were mixed with what he had heard at ostranium how christ had manifested himself on the sea in that far-off light he saw a form peter steered for the site on which it stood as they drew nearer the storm went down the waters grew calmer the light burned with a stronger blaze the crowds began to sing a sweet hymn the air was pervaded with the odor of nard the waters took on the hue of a rainbow as if lilies and roses were looking from the bottom of the sea finally the boat's prow struck softly on the sand then lygia gave him her hand and said come i will lead thee and she conducted him to the light once more vinitius awoke his dreams slowly scattered he slowly regained the full consciousness of reality for a time it had seemed to him that he was still on the sea surrounded by the multitude unwittingly he had looked around for petronius and wondered why he was not there the bright light of the fireplace whence his former roommates had now withdrawn fully awoke him branches of olive smouldered slowly on the rose-colored ashes while splinters of vines evidently recently thrown upon the fire shot up bright flames in this light vinitius saw lygia sitting beside his couch the sight moved him to his soul's depths he remembered that she had spent the previous night in ostranium yet during the whole of the present day she had occupied herself in nursing him now that all had retired she alone remained by his bedside it was evident that she was tired she sat motionless her eyes were closed vinitius knew not whether she slept or was buried in thought he gazed at her profile at her drooping eyelashes at her hands dropped listlessly on her knees in his pagan brain the thought began to resolve that besides the beauty of nudity confident of itself and proud of its greek and roman perfection there existed in the world another order of beauty pure and undefiled in which a soul had taken up its abode he could not bring himself to call this strange new thing christianity yet looking at lygia he could not separate her from the creed which she professed he now understood that if all the others had gone to sleep and she alone whom he had wronged had remained awake to keep watch over him it was undoubtedly because that creed so commanded though this thought filled him with wonder he felt it unbearable he would have preferred that lygia had done this thing from love for him for his face his eyes for his statuesque form in a word for all those reasons which had often wound around his neck the snowy arms of grecian and roman beauties and then he realized that were she like these other women something would be wanting in her 
he wondered at himself what was happening to him he recognized that strange new feelings and tendencies were arising within himself she opened her eyes catching vinitius's look she approached i am with thee she said he replied i have seen thy soul in a dream end of part two chapter three